Do you have your Bibles open to 1 Samuel chapter 9? We're going to study the life of King Saul tonight, the first king of Israel, the king that the nation of Israel demanded for themselves as we studied last week. Remember, the nation of Israel came to Samuel last week as we studied and said, we want to be like all the other nations. All the other nations have kings, so we want a king, and we want a king right now. And so God will give them King Saul. King Saul. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truths of your word. Your word is a treasure field. So much gold, so much silver, so much treasure for our souls. I pray, Lord, that we would learn important truths tonight that we could put to practice in our lives. I pray that you would teach us tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, studying the life of Saul is kind of strange because it's really like studying two lives. It's like studying two different men, two King Saul's. Saul number one, the young Saul, the early Saul, Saul at the beginning of his career. And then you have Saul number two, old Saul, late Saul, Saul at the end of his career. And, and when you compare Saul number one to Saul number two, you almost wonder, is this the same guy? He starts off so good, but finishes so poorly. He makes foolish, foolish decisions along the way. In fact, by his own mouth, towards the end of his life, he makes this confession. Indeed, I have played the fool. And erred exceedingly. Let's look at Saul number one first. Good Saul. Young Saul. We meet him in verse one of 1 Samuel chapter 9. Look at it. It says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bicharoth, the son of Ephiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now I want you to notice here the natural advantages that Saul had. His dad was named Kish, and it says at the end of verse 1 that he was a mighty man of power. You could also translate that as a mighty man of wealth. By that, we know that Saul came from a very successful, very wealthy, prominent family. He grew up having everything that he wanted, 
And by all indications, he also grew up in a healthy family. It was not a dysfunctional family. So Saul had a wonderful upbringing. Great advantage, right? Notice also that it says he was very good looking. Handsome. Choice. The most handsome man in the nation. And taller than anyone else. You know, every year... People Magazine publishes an issue where they list the sexiest men on the planet. If People Magazine would have been around at that time, Saul would have been at the top of the list. He had movie star looks. He looked royalty. He looked like a king. Saul walks in and that's a king material right there. So he had a lot going for him naturally. And I also want you to notice that Saul, number one, had extremely good character qualities. Fine young man. Look at verse 3. It says, Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. Notice how respectful. Notice how sensitive, notice how thoughtful, notice how obedient. Dad says, Saul, I need you to go find the donkeys, and he immediately obeys. There's no arguing. He takes a servant, and he goes out, and he's going to see that through. Spends three days traveling all over the place looking for the donkeys. And then on day three, he begins to think, you know what? I think dad's going to start worrying about us rather than the donkeys. This is a very thoughtful young man. Really good character qualities. Now, as the story goes, the servant will say to Saul, hey, listen, there's a man of God in this city. There's a seer. Let's go talk to this man. And maybe he can tell us where to find the donkeys. Well, that man of God in the city happens to be Samuel the prophet. Who has already been told ahead of time that he's going to meet Saul. And he's commanded to anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. Well, skip down to verse 18. And notice how Saul reacts to this. It says, then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me where is the seer's house? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place for you shall eat with me today and tomorrow I'll let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them for they've been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all your father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite 
of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Young Saul is humble. He is a man filled with humility. Samuel says, hey man, we're going to dine together. And God has special plans for you. The hope of Israel's pinned on you. And Saul says, who am I? Why would you pick me? Why would you treat me so kind? Great man of humility here. At the beginning of chapter 10, Samuel will anoint Saul privately. And then at the end of chapter 10, Samuel will anoint Saul publicly. And when it comes time to anoint him publicly for his day of coronation, they can't find Saul. Why? He's hiding. He's afraid of the position. He's nervous. He doesn't know if he can handle the position. This is... A humble young man who has a lot going for him. All these natural advantages and these wonderful character qualities. And that's not all. He also had supernatural advantages. As I said at the beginning of chapter 10, Samuel will anoint Saul privately, and then Samuel will send Saul home and tell him to expect some really neat signs proving that God is with him. Skip over there in chapter 10 to verse 6. Samuel speaking to Saul, when you go home, you're going to meet some prophets along the way. And verse 6, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands for God is with you. Look at verse 9. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him, Saul, another what? Heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. We just studied John chapter 3 this last Sunday speaking about being born again. Here's an Old Testament illustration of what it looks like to become born again. Saul gets all of the Holy Spirit poured out upon him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He begins to prophesy. It says that God gave Saul a brand new heart. It says that God turned Saul into a brand new person. Here is a man who has the smile of God upon his life. The anointing of the Holy Spirit upon his life. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, that's success when you have God with you. And so it was for Saul number one, young Saul. Well, eventually he is anointed publicly. He's coronated as the king. 
And as he begins to serve as the king, he gets surrounded by awesome men. So he'll also enjoy incredible support. Look at verse 25, still in chapter 10. This is right after Saul is coronated. It says, Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty, wrote it in a book, and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. Now check that out. He's just become king. He is a mighty man of God. And he has surrounding him mighty men of God who have been touched by the Holy Spirit. So you have people around you who know God and support you. Incredible. Now, he did have some detractors. There were some people who did not like Saul. But look how he handles them. Verse 27. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents. But he held his what? Peace. So everyone has enemies, right? And even King Saul, this brilliant young man who's become king. He had his detractors. They despised him. They weren't there. They didn't acknowledge his rule. But notice, young Saul was not vindictive. He was not jealous. He didn't go off in a rage and try to take out this opposition. He was able to treat opposition peacefully. He was grounded. Cool, calm, collect. Saul number one. I can't think of a better way to start a career, can you? Saul had everything going for him. There was nothing against him. The stage has been set for one of the greatest lives ever to be lived. The stage has been set for one of the greatest errors, eras in the history of Israel. Saul had everything. But Saul, one, Saul number one got destroyed. Saul number one Lost it all. Saul number two beat up Saul number one. And his life will end in great tragedy. So what happened? What happened to this young man who had so much going for him and had such a great start? Well, let's look at the factors. Let's follow through his life. Saul started to go off the rails in chapter 13. Turn to chapter 13. In chapter 13, the nation of Israel is fighting the Philistines. Saul has gathered all of his men. They're in the city of Gilgal. They have been given a direct order from the Lord. 
They are not to engage in any military fighting whatsoever until Samuel, the prophet, who also acts as a priest, comes to Gilgal and does a burnt offering, does the sacrifices before they can do any type of military battle. Very clear, wait for Samuel. Don't do anything till Samuel gets there and does these sacrifices. We'll look at verse 8. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and a peace offerings here to me, and he offered the burnt offering. Was that the right thing to do? I'll do it. Verse 10, now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. If he had only waited a few more minutes, right? Samuel shows up. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled, offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel Forever. This is willful disobedience. Saul disobeyed a direct, clear commandment of the Lord. But Samuel was late. So what? But my men are getting freaked out. They're starting to scatter. So what? But the Philistines, they're getting ready to attack. So what? You don't disobey the Lord willfully. And unfortunately, this became the pattern for Saul. In chapter 15, he's given a direct order. They're fighting the Amalekites. He's told, listen, wipe everyone out. Leave no survivors and take no spoil whatsoever. So he battles against the Amalekites and he lets the king of the Amalekites live and takes sheep and oxen. When Samuel comes to check up on him, it says that Saul ran out to Samuel and said, Blessed are you of the Lord. I've performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel says, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? And the lowing of the oxen, which I hear. Somewhere along his journey, King Saul got very deceived. He's a king. He's in a position of leadership. And he sort of began to think that he was above the law. The commandments were very important, and they should be enforced upon all the peons... All the normal everyday citizens of the land. But in his own personal life, 
the clear commandments of God became negotiable and optional. And that willful disobedience got worse and worse and worse until finally the Spirit of God left Saul. Saul lost the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the smile of God. This willful disobedience destroyed King Saul. And Christian, let me just say, don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. Don't ever get to a place in your Christian walk where you think, you know, the commandments of the Lord don't really apply to me anymore. Not to my situation. I'm different. The commandments of Scripture might apply to someone else, but not to me. And Christian, be very careful, especially you veteran Christians, those of us who have been following Christ for a long time. Don't ever get to a point where you think, well, I can relax. I've put in my time. I can relax on certain commandments. Christian, commandments are not optional. Amen? Whatever situation you find yourself. I mean, look at Saul. He had good reason. Samuel's late. Here come the Philistines. But he's still busted, isn't he? If there is one thing that should mark our lives as Christians, it should be obedience. Obedience to what God has said. There was a cavalier soldier who lost his life and property in battle for the royalist cause. And on his tombstone were written these words. He served King Charles with a constant, dangerous, and expensive loyalty. That's what should be said of us. Every one of us as Christians, it should be said, we serve Christ with a constant, dangerous, and expensive loyalty. Obedience to Christ. And never let up on that. You start playing those games and start making these little excuses and you'll start to go south real quick. And this is what happened to Saul. There's another thing that wrecked Saul. And you know what that was? Pride. Pride. Saul became a very prideful man. Skip over to chapter 15. And look at verse 10. This is in that Amalekite incident. Look what we read in verse 10. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. That's pretty bad when the Lord says that about someone. For he's turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, 
and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Samuel wants to meet with Saul. Where's Saul? Saul's not here. He went to Carmel. He's putting up a monument for himself. Picture a guy putting up his own image. He's become full of himself. Arrogant. Conceited. If he were to put up a monument for anyone, it should be for the Lord, don't you think? It was the Lord who raised him up. It was the Lord who gave him all the victories. He should be giving all glory to God. He should be thankful to the Lord. Instead, he's taking the glory for himself. He's King Saul. Let's put up a monument for King Saul. Later on in this chapter, Samuel will confront Saul and he'll say to Saul, you know, when you were little, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Oh, look back in your life, Saul. Remember when you were little? Remember you when you were hiding out on the day of your coronation? Remember when you had the attitude of, who am I? But now you've become Mr. Big Shot. Mr. King. And I'll tell you what, pride utterly destroyed him. It got worse and worse and worse. And it destroyed his life. By the way, I think pride ruins everything. It was C.S. Lewis, a great thinker, a man I respect, who said these words. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. You think about it. Think what pride, what the pride of man has done. Christian? Humility should mark our lives at every turn in life. We should never be prideful. In every course of life, in every twist and turn of life, if you're a Christian, you should be humble. And you should give glory to the Lord. So if the Lord blesses your business... Or your career? Are you going to take that as an opportunity to set up monuments for yourself? Or shouldn't you give God the glory? If God blesses you in a sport or an activity or whatever and you find great success, you give that credit to God. You stay humble. What if the Lord blesses you in ministry? Or in a church, in a women's ministry, or a men's ministry, or on a worship team. 
You going to take credit for that? Sadly, many people lose their bearing. Stay humble. Spurgeon said, be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. So very important. By the way, and and I've shared this with you many times, pride is something that God despises. Do you realize that God despises pride? He utterly despises it. And his servants, his true servants, will be humble. And if they're not humble, he'll do things in their lives to make them humble. We're told that for a fact. 1 Peter chapter 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. That's what we need to do. Humble ourselves in the sight of God. Otherwise, he'll humble us. As one author put it, a tall tree attracts lightning. So God puts down those who are conceited. Stuck up people usually suffer some humiliating experience designed to deflate their ego. And it only takes a small pin to prick a large balloon. God's people will be humble. Pride will destroy you. I've told you this story before, but it's so funny, I'll never forget. There was a guy who came to church, and he was on the worship team, and he had just brought some brand new alligator boots. And he was really proud of his alligator boots. He wanted everybody to see his alligator boots. And so he's sitting in the drum area, kind of contorted, trying to get everybody to, you know, to see his alligator boots. And he, right in the middle of the surface, service fell over backwards. And he got exactly what he wanted. Everyone saw his alligator boots standing right there. Humble pie. I promise you, God will humble you. God will humble proud people. God opposes proud people. The man or woman that, that, you know, struts around like, look at me. It destroys you. It literally destroyed Saul. I want you to notice another downfall for Saul. And this is... Very closely related to pride. Jealousy. Jealousy. Skip all the way to chapter 18. And look at verse 5. Of chapter 18. 
It says, so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul. Tambourines, joy, musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his what? Ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they've ascribed only a thousand. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. So now David has come on the scene. David is an anointed man of God. He's God's real choice. He will be the next king of Israel. David is this incredibly gifted man. At this point, he's already uh, slayed the giant named Goliath. And he has great success. And he's this up-and-coming star. And Saul was very happy with David until he heard the new song on Top 40 Radio, right? Everyone talking about David. And you know what? It was the women. The women with all their tambourines. Saul got very jealous. And he kept an eye on David. In fact, look at verse 10. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. And he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul, this is very interesting, was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from from Saul. Try to play, pin the spear on the worship leader, right? David's in there just trying to comfort Saul, and Saul in this jealous rage picks up a spear and just tries to kill him. And you know the rest of the story. Saul loses a gasket. Saul becomes a monster, a jealous monster, who will stop at nothing to kill David. For the next 10 years, Saul will hunt David through the wilderness using the military resources of his nation. He'll slaughter priests at the city of Nob. Remember young Saul didn't get vindictive? Remember young Saul dwelt in peace with even the people that despised him? Not this Saul. He's become very arrogant, and out of that arrogance comes jealousy. 
and jealousy destroyed him. Christian, jealousy will destroy you. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't get jealous of somebody else's career. Don't get jealous of somebody else's money. Don't get jealous of somebody else's car. Don't get jealous of somebody else's ministry. Don't get jealous of somebody else's talent or gifts. Don't get jealous of somebody else's position in a church. Don't compare. It'll destroy you. Socrates said, Envy is the daughter of pride, the author of murder and revenge, the father of secret treason, the perpetual tormentor of virtue. Envy is the filthy slime of the soul, a venom, a poison, a quicksilver, which consumeth the flesh and drieth up the marrow of the bones. Philip Bailey said, Jealousy is a coat that comes hissing hot from hell. You're jealous of somebody on, you're putting on a, on a hissing hot coat from hell that will burn you and make you bitter and make you question what God has for you. Be content. Christian, listen. Be content with who you are and what God has given you. Be content. I want you to think about it. All of us as Christians have the Lord. We're all equally rich. If you've got the Lord, man... What are you jealous about somebody's car for? You've got the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 16, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Amen. Learn to be content. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Be content with what God has given you, who he's made you, who he's called you to be. Serve him the way he called you to serve him. Don't be destroyed. Those are the major factors that took Saul down. Willful disobedience and rebellion. Pride. And jealousy. Just took him out of play. And he never repents. He's given lots of chances, but he never turns around. He never gets better. And so he keeps going further, further, further down in life to a point where he reaches a place where he never thought he could get to. 
skip all the way over to chapter 28. Would you look at verse 3 with me? Chapter 28. It says, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or Urim or by the prophets. Remember at the beginning he had all that support, valiant men of God surrounding him. Here at the end he's lost all. He's alone. The Lord isn't even speaking to him. Verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself, put on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, And he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Here's a guy who at the end of his life is consulting a witch, the witch of Endor. Here's a man asking a witch to conduct a seance. God won't talk to me. Nobody will talk to me. Well, let's, have, let's find a witch. Now that's... I'll bet in his wildest dreams, in his wildest imaginations, Saul never would have guessed that he would arrive at a place like that. But listen, that's what happens. You start down that path. And things can get really, really bad. Well, this is the final straw for Saul. The Philistines will kill him and his son Jonathan and others on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines will come along and they'll decapitate Saul and send his head all throughout the region. And they'll fasten his body to the wall of Bethshan. In a total uh, pronouncement of humility. Not only to Saul, but the whole nation. Terrible. Tragic. And it didn't have to be that way. There's a real big lesson that I really want you to take to heart tonight from the example of Saul. The life of Saul shows very, very clearly that it is possible to start really good 
and finish really, really bad. And Christian, I want you to take that to heart tonight. It's not so much how you start. It's how you finish. In fact, in in a lot of ways, it can be really easy to start, huh? But harder to finish. Christian, we are to make it to the finish line. Amen? And we want to cross. We want to cross the tape. We want to finish the race that God has called us to in this life. Don't start well. And then finish poorly. I'm speaking to those of us who have been Christian for years. You may be here and you've been a Christian for many years. Don't let up. You may be here this morning or this tonight and you've been a Christian for two weeks or one month. You've just barely became a brand new Christian. I want you to know right at the offset of your Christian life. It's for the long haul. It's for the long haul. And don't ever let up. And the way you make it successfully to the end is you safeguard yourself from the pits that Saul fell in. Little willful acts of disobedience. Are you going to compromise with God? Pride. Jealousy. Safeguard yourself. Christian, God has given us so much. You know, when you be, I think we're all like young Saul. When you give your life to Christ, we're all like long, young Saul. We get, we have plenty of advantages. God gives us all natural advantages. God has given every one of us talents. Things that he's equipped us with. And if you're a Christian, you have the spirit of God living in your life. You've been, you've been given a brand new heart. You become a new person. You have the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. And you have all the tools that are necessary for growth. God's word, God's people. You have a support structure around you. Your life should be surrounded with valiant men and women of God who come along and support you. You've got it just as good as young Saul. Don't blow it. Stay faithful. Stay true. Keep growing. Keep obeying. Keep giving God glory. Stay faithful to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Keep growing in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, the closer we are to Jesus, the more we abide in him on a day-by-day basis. Aren't you safe? You're safe. Some years ago, there was an earthquake in California. 
And there were some silver miners who were way down deep in the earth. They didn't even feel it. Up above their heads, all this pandemonium, tremors, people running around. The guys way down in the earth, they didn't even feel it. They didn't even know there was an earthquake till they came up and discovered every, all the chaos. That's how we should be as Christians. We should be so hidden in Christ. So grounded in Christ. So protected in Jesus Christ. That we are joyously oblivious of much that sadly troubles worldly men. Stay close to Jesus. And do that daily. Don't forget. Don't relax. Let's not be like Saul. Amen? If you're here tonight and you've been a Christian for many years, here's my exhortation to you. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Keep on doing what's right. If you're just brand new to the faith here tonight, let me tell you, there's going to be battles. There's going to be temptations for you to say, I'm taking my ball and going home. I'm quitting. It's going to be hard. There's going to be some tough things that you encounter in life. But you found the truth and you keep on. It's a long haul. Keep growing. There may be some here tonight and you've never even taken that first step. Maybe you haven't become a Christian yet. You haven't put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, he's there to help you. You can become born again. You say, well, I've really made some messes of my life. Start over. Become born again. Let God tonight give you a brand new heart, make you a brand new person, and put his spirit in you and upon you. And start walking with him today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, maybe some of us have uh, slipped. Maybe some of us, Lord, over the years have become a little deceived. Maybe we've become hardened. Lord, as we get older, we want to get sweeter, not grumpier, not more worldly. Lord, as we get older, as we walk with you, we want to be more fruitful for you. We want to keep pushing, growing, getting stronger, use our lives more. Guard us, Lord, from pride. Guard us from jealousy. Let us not get caught up with that. May we learn to be content in who you are and what you've done in our lives.
Father, that's our cry. And if there's anyone here who needs to come back to you tonight, I pray they do so. If that's you, you come back. Come back to the Lord. He'll take you back. He'll take you back. He'll restore you. You may be here tonight and you've never received Christ. You've never become born again. It can happen right now. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He paid the price and he rose again that third day. And if you by faith invite him into your life, he'll come into your life. He'll clean you up. He'll give you a brand new start. I'll lead you in a prayer right now. If that's you, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord, I want to start brand new. I want to be born again. I want your spirit upon my life. Wash away all my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and rising again and paying the price. Wash them all away. Make me born again. Put put your spirit in me. Change my life. Help me to walk with you in humility and in great power for the rest of my days. Give me that race to run and let me, let me run it well all the way to the end. Start right now. Start tonight, Lord, in my life right now. I humble myself before you. Lord, use your church mightily in these last days. Make us humble and at the same time very powerful. May our lives shine. And may they shine in such a way that you receive all the glory. And that many, many come into your kingdom as a result. Lord, I pray this in the name of Jesus.